Welcome to Functional Medicine with Alexandra Brewster. Alex is one of five Australian certified practitioners through the Institute of Functional Medicine and focuses on identifying the root cause of disease by taking into account an individual's genes, environment and lifestyle for treatment. She's the principal naturopath at Healing Hands Natural Health Centre in Ipswich, Queensland. Along with her talents as a Western herbalist and nutritionist, she has also excelled previously as a midwife and registered nurse. At Alex's practice, health is a right, not a privilege. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Bindi. Good to be back. It is, isn't it? Now, before we get started, we have our uh, disclaimer that uh, you're not a medical doctor, but you are one of the seven individuals in Australia who can uh, call themselves a certified functional medicine practitioner. Now, that's a mouthful. Yes. And we just got to look out for imitations because you're the real deal. Yeah, look, you know, with all due respect to all the natural therapy practitioners in Australia, yes, we all practice a form of functional medicine. But to be a board-certified functional medicine practitioner with the Institute of Functional Medicine in Portland, Oregon, is a big deal. Mm. Um, it takes a lot of um, a lot of education, a lot of bloody heartache, a lot of exams, <laughs> a lot of case studies, all that sort of jazz. Um, and it's just a little bit different. We dig it a bit deeper. And, yes, there's only seven in Australia. Why? Because it's bloody hard. Mm. Yeah. And that just shows, um, you know, how... You know, important this stuff is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, today we're talking about uh, the COVID vaccinations. We are. We have to talk about vaccination. So the first thing I want to, another disclaimer, I am not anti-vax. I am not pro-vax. In fact, in my past life, I was a nurse immuniser. So I know the importance of vaccinations. And in fact, I will a statement, I will release, I will comment on a statement released by the Institute of Functional Medicine who um, in America, in the US, who recommend that um, people get the vaccination. Am I pro-vax? I'm not saying I'm pro-vax and I'm also not saying I'm anti-vax. What we're going to talk about is trying to just get the myth away and the hysteria away and the conjecture away from what's going on. Um, I'm going to talk about the different types of vaccinations only available in Australia. I don't want to, there's so many. I think there's 260 different ones. Really? Yeah, something. Um, I've got I've got that data written down somewhere, but I'll, um, of 250, they're thinking of having released um, worldwide, globally. And mm. So I think what there's three or four that we're going to talk about that's pertinent to um, Aussies, and it, oh, in particular the two, yeah. which we know about. So I guess if we, we take a step back and we, we look at um, the COVID vaccine mm-hmm. and, and how rapidly it's been developed, um, yes. or, you know, the different strains of it, yes. um, you know, this time last year we didn't have a vaccine um, yes. and we were right in the height of the pandemic. Yes. And uh, a year later now we've got several variants um, of a vaccine, which I think is a miracle that something can be produced so quickly that that, that does provide a solution. But um, there's a fear that comes with that, that it hasn't been tested rigorously like most vaccines or, or medicines are. Yeah, it um, usually takes 20 years, correct? Yeah. Having said that, let me just say this. Vaccinations have been <coughs> offered to humanity um, all of last century. Mm. So they've They've got a bit of historical data on how vaccinations work and how immune systems respond to it. Um, but there are also data limitations, and these are the limitations. I just want to read you out. There was actually published by Pfizer, who is um, the Swiss arm of the, the vaccination lobby, and that's the one we uh, um, actually have available to us in Australia, one of the two, yep. well, one of the few. But, <coughs> 
We don't know. You're correct. We don't know the long-term safety. Yeah. So with any medicine, it's risk versus benefit. Mm. Every single medicine has a risk. Even my natural medicine has a risk. Yeah. Right? So if you're taking, for instance, let's talk about a medicine with a really narrow narrow therapeutic window like warfarin. Mm-hmm. Warfarin you know, it's handy if you've got a mechanical valve in your heart, you will die unless you take some sort of coag- anticoagulant medication, which is warfarin. Mm. But warfarin has a really narrow therapeutic window. You basically, when people come to see me and they say, oh, they're on warfarin, I go, oh, gosh, you know, what am I going to give them? Because that interacts with so many things. Yeah. Um, so, but it's still more beneficial, bad English, to take the warfarin because it's handy for your heart not to stop because the valve clogs up. Yeah. They're not to take the warfarin. Yeah. So COVID vaccination is exactly the same. Now, whether we whether we believe that COVID is as bad and as dangerous the actual virus as we seem to believe, we have to just go with what science is telling us. Mm. But Pfizer itself published some limitations, and as I said, one of them was the unknown unknown long term safety. The vaccine efficacy against asymptomatic infection and viral transmission, what does that mean? Well, there's a lot of people who get COVID and don't even have symptoms. Mm. There's a lot of people, like my daughter last week in Canada, who get COVID and have mild flu-like symptoms. Mm. There's a lot of people who get COVID and die. Mm. So this is what I'm talking about, the efficacy of the vaccine the side effects that seem to be coming out from the vaccine, the various vaccinations, and and melding together, whether that's actually safer than the side effects of actually having the virus. I don't envy these these policymakers at the moment globally, because no. at the end of the day, they're trying to look at all the information. Mm. Um, the other problem is the concomitant use of vac- these particular vaccines with other vaccinations, and we were just chatting off air about your mum and dad and have had the flu shot. Mm. You should not have the COVID vaccination. They say two weeks. Look, you know, I'm saying four because, you know, it takes three weeks sometimes to develop antibodies. Yeah. Um, so why not do another week extra window? You shouldn't have them together for starters, and I think there should be a good four-week window. Yeah. So that's the other one. Vaccine data on pregnant women, children, and lactating mothers. Now, despite what, and this again, this is what we're dealing with. Let me just read it for you. Um, the World Health Organization equivocally says no, it is not safe for women who are pregnant, about to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding children. And let's just shove, shove kids in there too, because basically, you know, kids are still mm. developing. <laughs> developing, mm. right? So we're talking under teens here. Yeah. Um, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology are saying it's okay. So there we've got these huge, both these huge bodies, which completely opposing views. Mm. I guess the American College of ONG are coming from the fact that they've got people dying in their truckloads in the US, and we'll talk about one of the reasons why that could be shortly. Yeah. Um, you know, does it cause infertility? We don't know. At the moment, of course, no data suggests it causes infertility because it's only been around for six months mm. or 12 months. Mm. So, you know, we know it takes three or four months to make an egg and a sperm, right? And we, you know, watch out for one of all. Actually, we've already recorded that podcast on the sperm, haven't we? Mm. Um, it's too early to tell. But, you know, and, and, they, and I've had a couple of patients which the young girls who are banking their eggs before they have the vaccination. So clearly they think the benefit of the vaccine outweighs the fact that they may have problems with fertility later on. Mm. 
But eggs are only half of the equation. That's it. What about the sperm? Mm. Can't bank sperm. Not yet. Well, maybe, no, not not effectively anyway. I mean, you can freeze it, I guess, but how long does it last? Yeah, it's not quite the same, is it? No. <clears throat> so I guess that's that's another one. Um, and then we've got the vaccine efficacy and safety in immunocompromised people, like mm. people with autoimmune disease or cancer or chemias or, you know, um, and... We don't really know what the actual correlator of, of, of protection is. We mm. don't know yet. So we've got to just look at all the facts as objectively as we can, mm. but that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'd like to actually start with about the different types of vaccinations. Yeah. That's we're hearing a lot in the media about the different types and people of different ages and, and even our Prime Minister has made comment on, on who should have what. Correct. Um, can you break that down for us? Like what's the difference? Yeah, so worry, warning, boring science stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not a scientist and I am, but I do like biochemistry and I particularly do like um, immunology, but this does my head in. So I'm going to try and keep it as basic as possible. And I've got my little graph in front of me that I've actually borrowed from um, one of my um, all-time favourite people in our world called Daniel Baden. Um, so he's done a lovely graph trying to explain how all different vaccinations work. Now, we're going to talk about all vaccinations across the board. Okay, so the first first viral, the first vaccination we can talk about actually was one of the first original vaccines was the Ebola vaccine. Mm. Um, and that's the... Um, the nasty, horrible hemorrhagic disease they get in Africa. Yeah. That's called a viral vector vaccine. So the end result, I guess, what we have to what we have to get our immune system is to recognize part of the virus, mm. but not give us the virus so that we don't die. Yeah. It's handy not to die. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so there is something called a spike protein. And it's a collection of different amino acids with different receptor sites and all sorts of, yeah, yeah boring, um, <laughs> on it. That that's the spike protein is what of a virus is what our immune systems recognise. Because what we have to remember about viruses, they're not like bacteria. They're not like, inverted commas, living cells. Yeah. They're little sneaky little buggers and they get into our cells and, and hide there and make and, and reprogram our DNA to do what they want. Mm. Right? Yeah, it's not like aliens. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so the, but the one thing they do have are these little spike proteins and that's the one thing our immune systems can recognise. So that's pretty much all viruses across the board work on, I beg your pardon, immune, Im, vaccines across the board work on trying to get that spike protein without getting the dangerous effects of whatever disease it is. Mm. So the first one is actually, a, um, it's, called a, it's called a viral vector. So what that actually means is they use a similar virus with a similar, I think I've got this right, spike protein um, with a, just a fragment, enough for our immune system to recognise and it's supposed to be, um, it tends to elicit a bit of a weaker response immunologically, <laughs> I know. Uh, so, and this is the AstraZeneca. They use, actually use a viral vector from an adenovirus, which adeno just means it tends to attack the mucous membranes, from a um, chimpanzee. Right. Um, and so Ebola is the same and another one called Novavax is pretty much the same, but instead of using um, a live virus, they've actually made the virus in the lab. Right. So that's the difference between those two. And in, interestingly, Novavax is um, they, they claim 90% efficacy, um, as does the AZ, the AstraZeneca, but we'll talk about what that may mean. 
And we know that's been pulled for people under 50 in Australia mm. um, because <clears throat> of the increased risk of blood clots, hypertension, um, just um, something called um, MCAS, mast cell activation syndrome, and this unremittent fatigue people are, um, are, are reporting. Of course, why it's been called pulled is because of the blood clot, you know, because mm. um, that's fatal. So that's called a viral vector. That's one type of immunisation. Right. The other one is this um, DNA RNA, and that's the Pfizer vaccine. And it's actually, it's got actually got a name, guys. It's called, I had to look it up, Comiran, Cominati or something. I don't know. Why, I think that's why everyone calls it the Pfizer vaccine because who can remember that name. So that actually instructs our DNA to make the spike protein that our immune system will recognise. So it talk, it's, um, it's used, um, yeah, basically it uses fragments of DNA um, is it the way of the future? It's this is this is the new science, and I think this is why everyone's a little bit worried. Yeah. Um, it you know they they claim sixty three percent efficacy, but actually um, the deputy editor of the British Medical Journal reviewed a lot of the FDA summary report after this um, was claimed a sixty three percent efficacy, and he said mm, maybe it's more like nineteen to twenty nine percent because they tested a lot of UK subjects which. They suspect had that what we talked about the asymptomatic disease. So of course, if you've got COVID but you don't have symptoms, you're going to have antibodies. Mm. So they actually think that uh, the uh, efficacy of the vaccines may be lower than they're stating. And that's interesting. And I've heard this being said before, particularly in the beginning of the pandemic, people who had had it and recovered had those antibodies, and they potentially wouldn't get it again. Yes. Now, as they've moved on, there's uh, and this is what the um, Canadian Health told my daughter because she's over in Canada. Um, how long are the antibodies going to last? Not sure because they were told pretty much. Because I went, oh, okay. So does that mean you can get on a plane and come home without the COVID passport? You know, and because she's of childbearing age, and clearly I'm concerned. Mm. Um, um, and they said, oh, they only last three months. And I said, good, get on a plane now. <laughs> um, but. We don't know. Some people are saying eight months. Some people are saying nine months. But the other thing, we don't we don't know what we don't know, right? Mm. To quote, um, I can't think of who it was, Aristotle, I think. Mm. Um, there's so many people who, when hepatitis B is another vaccination that people don't tend to zero convert. They don't seem to get those antibodies. But does it mean they're not immune to hep B? There's, there could be another immune reaction going on that we don't even know about. Yeah. So I, that's another big, glaring, obvious hole that we don't know anything about mm. how long the antibodies. And th- that's the thing with the, vac- the vaccine itself. It's not going to be any different than having the, the, the wild disease. Mm. You know, how long are we going to have antibodies for? Mm. Yeah. Is it, is it going to be like the flu vaccine where you have to have it over and over again? Possibly. It's a coronavirus and that's pro- possibly what we have to do because coronaviruses love to cause variants. And we're going to talk briefly about variants mm. and how, unfortunately, inadvertently vaccine has it created more variants, so we'll talk about that shortly. Mm. Um, but uh, there's there's a lot of, there's so many question marks. Mm. There's so many. And we will talk about how, you know, if you do decide to get the vaccinations, what you can do to prepare your body. Um, so there's there too. The other ones are in the attenuated or the inactivated virus, like the, the, uh, the new polio, the hepatitis A and the flu shot. And basically when you think about a virus, it's like a lion. It can kill you. You know, you can get in the, we can get in the cage with a lion. It's going to tear you apart. Turn the lion into a pussycat. 
Mm. Take some parts of the virus out that take the disease-promoting parts, leave all the other. So we still recognise it as a cat. Yeah. But um, so the immune system still recognises it as a virus, but the virus does not have the potential to create disease. Yeah. Um, um, oh, no, so that was a live attenuated virus. That's what I said, didn't I? Yep. Yeah, cool. Um, and then you've got this one, uh, a subunit spike protein, and that uses a subunit of the antigen, the virus, to elicit that immune response. And that's your Hep B, the um, HPV, the um, cervical cancer, yep. and the whooping cough vaccine are, um, are like that. And that just basically mean, means it uses some of the proteins from the spike protein. It's all about um, patterns that our immune systems recognise. So that's like seriously... Basic, mm. because honestly, that's all I can really understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating, though, like to yeah, understand yeah. the differences, because yeah, yeah. you know all we hear is brand names of, of vaccines, and we yeah. we really don't know the difference. Yeah, yeah. So the um, the uh, and I think we have to talk a bit more about the AstraZeneca because there is a, of course we will, but there is a little bit more about that. It's not just the inactivated virus because I think it's um, the messenger RNA makes it make the spike protein, but we'll talk about that shortly. But I think it sort of falls into both categories. That one really confuses me, to be honest. I'm like, uh, what does that mean? But um, I hope that sort of cleared it more than it hasn't. Okay. Um, oh, here, yeah, about 250 different vaccine on the cards worldwide. Um, and the thing, the other limitation which I basically didn't talk about was that all the studies have been basically done on Caucasian women. Right? Really? Yeah, well, like I think... Hispanics represented only, that was the Moderna vaccine, that only was, they were the highest other representation other than Caucasians, and they were like 20, 20%. Hispanic, Hispanics, black, black Americans were hardly um, even um, uh, sampled. Mm. And men, because, you know, who signs up for the trials? It's the women. But mm-hmm. who's dying from COVID? Mostly men. Yeah. Well, that's a vast exaggeration, but there's a higher percentage of men dying from the actual active COVID infection than there are women. Mm. And they've done a lot of the studies on vaccination on women, white women. Hmm. So that's so another limitation. there's a lot of unknowns just in that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let me just quickly... Um, yeah, no, that, that I was pretty right with the AstraZeneca. I got a bit confused, but that's basically <laughs> it. So, um, and the, the Pfizer one is that the medicine of the future, you know, the you, because it's working on our our DNA. So if you think of DNA like a ladder that's been twisted mm. and the, the, the steps in the ladder are the little bits in the middle that sort of kind of express, it's the code, it's the way the rungs are, which sort of encodes our genes, Yeah, right? What happens is when we have to um, make new DNA and there's something in the cell, um, in all our cells, that splits the DNA and it, and then there's only one side of the ladder and that's called – and then another part of, um, of the um, gene coding called messenger RNA comes through and that's what wraps around these parts of the cells. And then all the – and there's always like one particular protein always lines up with another one. Like aniline may line up – well, I can't actually remember with guanosine or thine. I, I don't know. Yeah. So basically then you have the steps of the ladder, exactly the right thing, and then it often curls and it twists up in a helix. And it's amazing and it's the most complicated science. And kudos <laughs> to people who understand it. But um, basically um, that's what the Pfizer one does. And, uh, you know, as you were saying before, all of these vaccines come with a risk. Yes, but yes. based on, you know, structuring it around the DNA, the, does that reduce the risk 
more? Maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. We don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a geneticist. Yeah. The the research right now shows that it, it either or. I guess it basically it's it's far more targeted. Yeah. Because it's telling our DNA to make the spike protein. Yeah. So that's how it works. Yeah. You know. You know. I always think of the fully computerized of plane that comes out and the a hostie's there, the, the <laughs> robot hostie's there and saying, this is a fully, fully computerised brain and we assure you nothing will go wrong, nothing will go wrong, nothing will go wrong. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, you know, it's really, I'm going to quote a, a Hollywood right now. In Jurassic Park they say nature always finds a way. Mm, so you know? true, so true. So I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not. I'm being objective here. Yeah, and, and, and we've got to know the facts. Yes. And that's what we're dealing with. Yes, here. yes. And we have to. We, we, we're a democratic society, so both sides of the coin yeah. have to be revealed. Yeah. Um, Novavax is the um, one we talked about that uses that lab-made version of that spike protein. Um, the Johnson & Johnson, I don't actually know if that is available in Australia, but there was some talk. Mm. That's the one that uses the modified DNA. So that takes the gene from the COVID and puts it inside an, a, um, another adenovirus, apparently non-replicating, to carry it inside human cells. It's a bit like a Trojan horse. Yep. So that's the Johnson & Johnson one. Um, and then that triggers the cell um, to make that m- messenger RNA, whereas Pfizer actually puts the messenger RNA already in. Right. So that's the difference between the DNA one yep. and the RNA one. Gotcha. Very quickly. Yep. You're following me here? Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> good. So, uh, yeah, so that's the difference about vaccination and all, you, you know, so that was a sort of one century of vaccine history in 10 minutes. <laughs> well, look how fast they've developed those vaccines in the in the yeah. last year. <laughs> yeah, and I'm actually really shit at bloody, uh, I used to always get in trouble in my English class because I couldn't pracy things enough. So that's, you know, that's uh, hopefully quite, that. Uh, quite concise. Yeah, quite concise. <laughs> Yeah, so the other thing I really want to talk to you about is, um, and this is the thing with, there's so much um, misconception, even amongst our health professionals, mm. and I'm not God, mm. but I like to look at the research. Like, let's talk the flu shot, for instance. Yeah. And so basically last year we were all told that we wanted to visit our loved ones in uh, aged care facilities, um, we must take the flu shot. My friend has a dear papa in a, a, a nursing facility. She literally went from the doctor because she was desperate to see him. Mm. She literally went for the doc- doctor in the morning to visit her papa in the afternoon. No, N-N-N-O-O-O. Mm. That is even worse. It takes two to three weeks to develop that immunity. Because, mm. you you know, you've seen my live blood, you've seen the little, I've talked about lymphocytes and stuff and, yep. you know, you have to make the antibodies. Mm. And then if you've not never encountered that virus before, which is why we have to, because you have different variants, right, with the flu, you have to get the flu shot every year if you're that way inclined. Yeah. It takes two to three weeks for your neutrophils and your lymphocytes and your monocytes, the little detectives in there, all to work together to have enough antibodies to combat the virus if you so come in contact with it. Mm. How we develop natural wild immunity is that if we get, say, a cold, um, or let's just talk about something a little bit more. Like I had the measles when I was a kid, right? Yep. So it's... It basically, I was sick for two weeks or whatever. Why is a viral illness usually last two weeks? 
because it takes that long for our immune system to start fighting it. Mm. And the whole thing is it will fight the COVID, but the trick is whether to, whether the immune system is going to fight it before we die. Mm. That's the whole idea. Who's going to win, the immune system or the virus? Mm. So those really virulent viruses kill you in less than two weeks. Mm. So immune vaccinations work exactly the same way. So that's why they're saying have a break of two weeks, and that's why I'm saying have a break of four weeks mm. between the vaccinations. Not the not the first and second dose. We'll talk about that shortly. That's yep. really important to get the timing right there. Yeah. But two actually between different vaccines. Okay, so... Um, and also the the um, and I'm just talking the two main one one in twenty of the Pfizer and one in three of the AstraZeneca may still get COVID infections right. post the vac the vaccinations being given yeah after the first dose so um, you can still catch it as nasty in those first few weeks mm. you know and so you know how you've got to have the two shots um, with the COVID vaccine so you have the first one mm-hmm. and then it's a couple of weeks later you have the second one right yes. Um, what, why, why is it different to a normal vaccine where you just have the one shot? Well, that's, look, I actually don't know the answer to that. It's probably because you don't, well, I do kind of know the answer, but I don't know the biological, biochemical answer. It's because the immune system doesn't have too much of a, it doesn't, um, doesn't have enough of a response to just having the first dose. And I think it's just because of the way they've done it. Like yeah, yeah. protein. Yeah. But the interesting thing that you should bring up there, Wendy, is that, um, you know how we hear about the different variants. Mm. Unfortunately, what's going on, and I, I you know, the, I completely understand. I'm not, so you're having the first vaccination, someone's getting a really bad response, a reaction. Mm. Then they don't, then they wait longer than the two weeks to have the or second shot. Or they don't shot, have or the they second don't. one. This is when the virus is beauty. Now I can, mutate's not the right word, now I can create a, a variant. Yeah. That's how we're getting the variants. So, you know, really consider before you have the first vaccine, you should follow through with the second. Yeah, because there's no point doing it if you Correct. only have the one, right? You can make it worse. Yeah. For everyone. Yeah. Not just yourself. And I'm going to quote my other podcast that I do here and, you know, uh, you know, it takes the actions of one to impact the many. Yes. And this is where we've all got to take our own responsibility Correct. for our health and those around us. Yes, absolutely. Mm. So that's um, so that's something um, we have to really think about. Mm. Um, and let's talk to briefly talk about side effects. So a lot of the side effects are from the excipients or the adjuvant. Um, so the difference between adjuvant and excipient, as far as I can remember, mm, I probably should look this up, <laughs> excipient is basically something that sort of bogs stuff out, whereas an adjuvant actually helps the medicine be more effective. Mm-hmm. Like in the instance of, I'm just trying to remember which one it is, it's the Novavax one. It uses an adjuvant from something called the Chilean soap bark, which is pretty much toxic insofar it will kill you. Right. Right. So there's a there's a um, there's a, a molecule from the Chilean soap bark tree in there that um, it actually helps stimulate the immune system. That's how adjuvant works. But they actually combine it with cholesterol. Right. And it completely detracts from a. Um, from the side effects, but still elicits the immune response. See, science is very clever. It's fascinating, isn't it? You know, it's not all bad. So basically um, that's what an adjuvant is, right? Um, A lot of the side effects are something from the PEGs, the polyethylglycols. Yep. Right? So they're in there and a lot as as an adjuvant because it sort of arcs everything up. Now, 
Yeah, I'm sure you've all heard of PEG because it's in a lot of our non-organic cosmetics. Mm -hmm. They use it as wrinkle filler because it's basically, you know, it's jelly. You can even, well, polypropyl glycol you can find in bloody dog food. Mm. It's in a lot of our foods. Is it good? No, it's absolutely bad for you. But it's in a lot of them and we all have some degree of it in our bodies. Mm. The problem is that 70 Two percent of us have antibodies against PEGs. Seven percent have high enough antibodies to elicit an anaphylactic reaction to PEG if we get it in an acute enough dose, aka vaccination. Wow! Right? Right. So, does that mean if you've got that seven percent and you get the vaccination, you're going? No, probably not. These are just statistics. Mm. But um, so the the PEGs are they actually? Reckon is what's causing a lot of the short-term side effects. Um, and the biggest, seventeen in the 17 to 65-year-old age group, um, it's 81% of all these reactions occur as their um, immune systems are more responsive. Mm. Right? So that's why um, our Prime Minister, PM, is saying the AstraZeneca vaccine's okay for those over 50 because their immune systems start slowing down a bit. I was trying to explain this to my mama this morning. Um, and that's why often when they get the live virus, because their immune system isn't as, as responsive, they get sicker. Yeah. But that means they're also going to get less of side effects for the vaccinations. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, there's another um, excipient in there called, called polysorbate 80. I think it's a preservative. Um, and none of the vaccines, by the way, have mercury in them. Thimerosal, um, the, um, the uh, ethyl mercury that used to be in, or is it methyl? It's, it's the biological mercury that used to be in a lot of the childhood vaccinations that yep. they've realised is a problem now. Yep. Um, is the same thing. It's used. It was used as a preservative. The problem is it's used as a preservative because it kills microbes. Mm. And guess what? Polysorbate 80 has a huge research base behind it for destroying the microbiome. Oh. Orally, yes, because this is also in food. Um, but we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Right? Um, and that also may induce that histamine-like response. If you go back to my podcast on the gut and the 80% of the immune system sits behind the gut and that's where the mast cells are and they release mm. the histamine and all that sort of stuff, um, and then you're going to get a drop in blood pressure and migraines, and that is very they, – they are actually – quite known side effects for a few of the vaccines. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard if you're susceptible to migraines, you'll most likely get one. Yes, and um, that's because of this. Yeah. It's because of the excipient, not because of the active ingredient. Yeah. Wow. Right. Um, so the treatment is vitamin C, but, again, don't take freaking six grams of vitamin C because that makes it oxidant. 600 milligrams is enough. Now, I, I'm, I don't actually care where you get whatever from. My, my, my functional medicine buddy and myself have created a powder that we suggest you take um, two weeks before the vaccine right the way through and a week after the second dose to decrease possibility of immune response but make your immune system slightly more responsive. I'm not making any claims. It may help. Just mm. what the research we've done. And this is it. Um, I, a lot of us don't prepare for a vaccination like yes. this because we're actually putting the virus into our body, yes. aren't we? Yes. So um, I think it's really important that we actually plan yes. for this. Um, I've also heard from a doctor that being well hydrated um, can help minimise side effects as well. Yes, yes. Well, I'm going to let's just talk about this. So. Who are the people that get side effects? So we talked about the elderly being less likely to get side effects from the vaccine we're talking now, mm -hmm. from the, the shot. Yeah. Um, 
Um, but what about if you have genetic SNPs or mutations on the MTHFR, that's the methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase um, gene, there's several of them, or even there's the CYP450 genes, of which there's a lot, there are detox genes or our SOD genes, all those genes that help us detox. Now, we all have different genetics, we all, and it's not just even about the genes, whether the genes turned on or off. There's no, there's no actually test on this good God's earth yet to tell us if those genes are turned on or off. If we get our genes tested, it just talks about whether we have the, that particular mutation or that SNP. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know I have got an MTHFR SNP. I've got several bloody CYP450 SNPs um, and particularly how I detox drugs. So um, am I going to have more likelihood of side effects? I don't know, but that's mm. that's one. Um, and the other known um, um, problems, and this is actually interesting, it's not just for the vaccination, it's for when you get the virus. Yep. So the people who are more likely to get bad side effects or more likely to get um, long-term illness from this um, horrible virus uh, yes, absolutely, hydration. Mm. Guess what the big one is? Mm. Microbiome. Oh, of course, of course. That came out as number one. If you've got the wrong gut microbiome, not only do you feel like shit, but that really makes it hectic yeah. for your body because of the immune response. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's incredible. Yeah, well, it makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? Um, so this is actually a study done from a flu shot, actually, not from the AZ or from the COVID vaccinations, right. because they haven't got this sort of um, data yet. But this was done in September two thousand and nineteen. This study, mm -hmm. and they found the worst offenders for the microbiome. We've talked about. We've got a whole. We've got several podcasts on gut, <laughs> haven't we? So go we'll talk back about and, the gut a lot. Yeah, so trawl back there. I can't think I've ever. Maybe I should do it. No, I couldn't. I was going to say I should challenge myself and do a podcast and not mention the gut, but I think that's actually impossible. <laughs> impossible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the worst offenders are um, polypharmacy. Yeah. The worst offenders for um, uh, your microbiome being off is too many drugs, mm. right? Um, proton pump inhibitors, antibiotics, Metformin, which is one for type 2 diabetes, obesity will go in there. Interesting laxatives, antidepressants called SSRI and opioids, which are analgesics like your codeines. And, and just recently they've actually acknowledged the fact that they're very dangerous. So codeine you need a, um, a script for now. Yeah. Important if you're in chronic pain. I'm not saying don't Absolutely. take it. Yeah. And please do not stop taking these drugs and then decide that you are going, oh, the other one's the ACE inhibitor. But that's not for the microbiome. That's for something else. Um, don't stop taking your drug. Two weeks before you're going to have yeah, the shot. Yeah, no, no, that's silly. <laughs> no. But what you need to do is nourish your microbiome with good food. Have we heard this story before? Oh, food is medicine. Yeah. yeah. And what do we eat, Lindy? Mm, the rainbow. That's right. <laughs> Let's eat the rainbow so we get all the different species back in there. And it, honestly, it starts happening after two days. So a month before... Start being a nutrition Nazi and mm. put only good food. It's not a long time. Four weeks. Mm. Let's stop eating shit for four weeks. And look, if you get yourself into a habit, win-win, right? Win-win. <laughs> the biggest source of antibiotics is livestock production. 70% of clindamycin, no, it's not clindamycin. I've forgotten. Just ignore that last. But 70% <laughs> of the particularly bad antibiotic is used in, in livestock production in feedlot. We're talking free-range organic if you can afford it. Yeah. Eat the rainbow. Wash the pesticide off your fruit and veggies using some sort of detergent or organic is even better. Um, 
four weeks. Drink water, hydrate your body. Mm. Just do your dry month before you get the vaccine. No alcohol. Alcohol is probably should be on there as one of the worst offenders of microbiome destruction. We know mm. this. This is this is this is ad hoc. This is we talked about this. So it's ah anyway. So <laughs> basically, four weeks. For the entire time you have the vaccination and maybe two weeks after. Okay, so maybe two months. But, oh, as you say, win-win. Yeah. Yeah, look, you're not doing yourself any harm. Yeah, you, <laughs> and, you know, you can't stop your medication. They, they, it's handy to live. Mm. So that's if, that was the first comorbidity that they said. That was the first thing they said that was probably the most likelihood um, that was going to cause a problem. The other one is called, oh, my goodness, um, they're called PFAs. Mm. So PFAs is a persistent organic pollutant, an endocrine-disrupting chemical. They're, let me try this, perfluoroalkyl and polyfluoroalkyl substances. Wow. So these are the flame <laughs> retardants. These are the ones the, the, the RAFs just had um, been in trouble with. Yeah. Right? Ironically, it's not just about the RAF, mm. although I actually got slightly worried. So there's a map you can look up where the highest concentrations of PFAs, this is in Australia, sorry for international people, are. The first one is, and I don't know what it is, parts per million or whatever, but the score is 138, right? That's Melbourne. Wow. Brisbane second. <gasps> Good old River City, country Brisbane, we've got 119. Wow. Followed by Sydney, which is I think 108. And then places like regional Queensland are three and stuff, mm. right? So this is the stuff they called POPs, persistent organopollutant. It takes four years. If, say, we all moved into the Queensland rainforest, mm. probably not a good idea, we'll destroy it, and we didn't have any nonstick, and I'll explain where they all come from in a minute, and we lived a completely pristine life, it takes four years for us to reduce our PFA concentration in our body by 50%. Wow. This stuff is deadly. And they're saying now, maybe we should do a whole podcast on this, they are saying now that this is a big, your PFA concentration in your body is a big um, comorbidity for for um, getting side effects for not only the virus but the vaccination. Mm. So let's get through. We talked about flame retardants and, of course, it's on all our clothes, you know. If you've ever burned an old bit of furniture from the 70s, it goes up in flames, but then you <laughs> want to put a cup, an old cupboard from last last year, it doesn't burn, mm. which is like it gets people out of burning houses, right? Yeah. But this stuff is toxic. Mm. Non-stick cookware. Yes. That stuff that's supposed to be so healthy so you don't need good old-fashioned olive oil to cook your egg, that's PFAs. Mm. And you're heating that shit up mm. and then putting it into your food. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Throw out your non-stick I don't care how much it cost. I, we, I actually won some stuff that was supposed I gave it away. People couldn't believe it. <laughs> Electronics, of course, you can smell it. Um, fast food containers, um, drink bottles, it's even in personal care, the stain resistance on your carpet and upholstery, airport and industry, of course, that's pretty why Brisbane because we got the RAF, good old Ipswich, I live under the flight path. <laughs> Should get my check, level checked actually. And even things like the plastic lining on paper, things like coffee cups. Yeah. You can get your brown paper coffee cup, but guess what? Mm. It's got that plastic lining and that's also got BPA in it and the popcorn bags ah. you know, that people put in the microwave. Yeah. Probably the most toxic food you can eat is that microwave popcorn. Wow. Right? Is it actually food? Probably not. No. So 
maybe it's good to have a bit and Google it. Have a PFA detox at least for four weeks beforehand. Mm. It's got to help. Mm. Body's amazing. And again, it's another one of those things. If you develop that habit, it's a long term benefit. Correct. Yeah. Here yeah. we are with our glass slash stainless steel water bottles. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't use plastic ones ever. No, ever. No, no. <laughs> I make everyone I know use one now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's um and you know they, those plastic bottles on they say single use only for a reason. Mm. They've actually this is just all plastic, not just PFAs, but they've actually found microplastics in the. Um, Amniotic fluid of the womb. Yeah. That's, so it's pervasive. Yeah. Persistent. Horrible. Maybe it should be pervasive of persistent pops. <laughs> so it also, having extra PFAs in your body will decrease vaccine efficacy. They suppress the T cells, which mm. is one of the, um, the immune cells we want to stimulate. So that, that one actually absolutely horrified me. Mm. I did not realise. I know that's, this stuff is bad, but I didn't actually realise just how bad. Mm. Again, another one. Well, it's it's just another signal that we're not meant to have that stuff Correct. in our life, right? Correct. Mm. Yeah. And, of course, the other one, maybe I should have put number one, is obesity. Mm. Okay, you increase mortality if you've, you're um, obese. Is this because you've got decreased vitamin D? Possibly because the higher your BMI, the lower the vitamin D goes. And you know vitamin D is important for immunity and inflammations. Vaccines just don't work well when you're inflamed. Yeah. So, you know... Um, and also fat tissue expresses those ACE2 receptors. This is how the COVID gets into our cells, people. And this is why I'm saying those drugs like ACE inhibitors for, you know, for hypertension, they've been under the microscope since COVID has come around and they've realised this. Mm. Um, do not stop your blood pressure medication, people. If you are on antihypertensive, maybe go to your GP and say, is it an ACE2 receptor um, uh, inhibitor? Can I please change? Yeah. Because there's plenty of other things you can get around, you know, just yeah. to decrease you know, um, and of course nutritional support because a lot of people don't have the right nutrient. Um, poor long-term response. And last but not least, um, this one surprised me too, is sleep. Mm. So this is the one I fall on really. <laughs> don't tell anyone. So people who have less than six hours sleep a night um, are 11 and a half times you'll love the statistics, less likely to produce adequate antibody response. Wow. Now think of all the people who are getting the vaccination right now, our lovely nurses and paramedics. Oh, no. And they don't sleep a lot. I have a, uh, I, had, I used to know a girl who when I was, was midwifing um, and she could never get the hepatitis B level, because we were midwives, our hepatitis B status had to be adequate, of course. Mm. Um, she could never get her HP levels, hepatitis B levels up. I wonder if this is something she did She did permanent nights. Wow. That's incredible. I know. Absolutely incredible. So sleep. We know that's how glial cells detox, right? So our yeah. body detoxes. It's a shutdown of the major computer. Well, it's the reboot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and one other thing I've heard um, just recently, you know, because there's been so many people who've had COVID and have recovered. Yes. Um, the side effects from having had the virus, yes. you know, um, the scarring yes. in their lungs and their... their the cytokine storm. Yeah, yeah. and their um, lung capacity yes. changes. Yeah. And um, I actually, and I know this is a little off track, but I actually saw there was a group of people they brought together who had COVID yes. and had reduced lung capacity and the therapy they gave them was singing. Oh, nice. To increase yeah. their lung capacity. Yeah. And it's actually like um, an orchestra is doing it, like... How yeah. awesome. So, you know, people have got side effects 
long term yes. from this virus. And this is the problem. Um, you know, you will recover. Yeah, you won't die. Yeah. But you'll be impacted for yep. the rest of your life. Yep. And the things we talked about, you know, um, is this is this is a compromised immune system mm. that's not letting you, you know, it's sort of an immune system that inadvertently attacks your own lung tissue whilst the virus is in there because it's lost the signalling um, capacity. Mm. Um, and, you know, they, they talk about what's your immune age. So your thymus gland is a little gland that is responsible for our immune system and it starts to degrade after age 20. Really? Yeah. Wow. Worse for men. Okay. But do you – what – you know, it's, what is your real immune age? So if you do all the things we talked about, keep keep your body clean. Um, oh, exercise. I should have had exercise on there. Exercise movement is important. Um, and this is where you've, you've heard the, the term inflammaging, mm. right? So your immune age is really geared around how you're inflammaging mm. after age 20. After age 20. Wow. Right, we start inflammaging. This will definitely an aged inverted commas immune system will decrease your recovery time. That's why when old people get it, the virus, they are getting sicker. Mm. That's why people who are smokers are taking longer to recover. Mm. You know, that's why people who are inflamed and not doing how we've talked about. So you decrease your recovery time, you increase your side effects, and you you decrease your likelihood of developing those long term. Um, problems we talked about, mm. um, and it's it's not so. We have, so of course it's genetics as well. We we know some people have great genes, mm. regardless of what they do. But you got that's a smoking gun. Are you going to take that? I wouldn't. Mm. You know, um, and it's the, about the three pillars of health that the functional medicine talked about. You know, it's diet, nutrition, stress, sleep, environmental factors. We've talked about the um, pollution. Exercises, your genetics, lifestyle, don't smoke. One, actually, one thing we haven't talked about is metabolic balance, mm. right? How good is metabolic balance? Maybe try and get someone. You can't. We don't expect you to get your stomach cut out and to lose weight before you have the vaccination. But what happens if you could get on a metabolic balance program, which we know is going to decrease the inflammation in your body? And it will have an impact in two weeks, no yeah. doubt, if you stick to it. Correct. Yeah. So how good is that? You know, eat the rainbow, minimise alcohol, spend time in nature is another one they're talking about. You know, nature's pretty good. Mm. Um, and then and, and the whole, the whole, I'm starting to um, make this program around pre-vax treatment. Um, you know, we, people are malnourished, but we're, we're undernourished and over-caloriferide, calor, you know, too many calories. I don't even that's a word. Yeah, right. it's funny that you say that because I was um, I was on a podcast um, in in Michigan with a health coach, and we talked about how you know today's um, century we're the most over overfed and undernourished. That's pretty a good way of putting it. Overfed um, and undernourished. You know, yeah, we're perfect. in this this you know class of world that we're in. How horrendous is you that? know we are just so overfed and undernourished. And if we talk about true malnutrition, think about the people in in our old people in our nursing homes. Yeah, absolutely. They've been told to stay inside. No, no vitamin, vitamin D, D. <laughs> and we still know vitamin D is still yeah, vitamin D from the sun is still more effective than oral vitamin D supplementation. Yeah, yeah. So getting in the sun, um, and even the even the elderly who are at home and have the tea and toast syndrome because they're on their own, they just have a cup of tea and, and some toast. Yeah, so they don't really cook for themselves. No, mm. so they're not getting the proteins. 
immune cells are made from protein. Mm. Zinc, vitamin C, not too much. Vitamin D, vitamin A. Yeah, who eats organ meat anymore? Mm. Vitamin A is, we're not talking beta carotin from carrots. Mm. We're talking vitamin A from eggs, all the stuff they're telling us not to eat. Mm. You know? Um, that actually, vitamin A, the study shows it increases the clearance of the virus, and vitamin A is the lung health vitamin. Yeah. Right? So when you come see me for a pre vaccine screen and support, you'll be getting vitamin A and D, of course, because I don't know how much time Tommy's going to send this in the sun. Zinc and magnesium, of course, it helps to degrade that. Um, um, the, the, the true messenger RNA, the COVID vaccine put the COVID virus puts in, um, and the microbiome, and of course we have to talk about stress. Be calm before you vax, mm. even if it means popping a few passion flowers or something like that. Or maybe I don't know. I'm not. I'm just. I'm an. I'm a herbalist. So I'm not <laughs> going to talk about um, uh, pharmacy. They actually find this elicits a far better immune response. So calm the farm before you walk into that door. Mm. Yeah. So I think that's pretty much. I think that's. Um, I think that's pretty much. I think I've done my talking. <laughs> and you know, I think it's it's a really great way to look at it. People don't actually think about how they can prepare themselves um, for the vaccine, or even. <laughs> you know, potentially if you got the virus. Yes, of course. Um, you know, improving your recovery time from either of those yes. events. Um, so, you know, and even if you do all the things that we've said and you, you don't get the vaccine or you don't get the virus, you're winning either way. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, um, the the problem with modern, modern medicine, it's trying to catch the horse after it's bolted. Yeah. Surely easy to look after a horse while it's still in the stable. Yeah. Yeah. Preventative. Yeah. Mm. And true preventative medicine is where we've got to go. Yeah. Even with this. So start now, beautiful people, because you are in charge of your own circus. Yeah, and particularly here in Australia as we're getting the rollout of the vaccine. Yes. Now's the time to make those decisions and plan. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for listening to Functional Medicine with Alexandra Brewster. For more information on functional medicine in Alex's practice, visit healinghandsipswitch.com.au.